I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We, Pastor Howard, are on the sixth lesson of our second quarter. Mm, can you believe it? All about the everlasting covenant. And this week's title is Abraham's Seed. And looking at the descendants of Abraham and the lineage that would come from that great nation and uh, even down to our day, how it applies to us still. That's exactly right. All right. So a lot of good material to cover here. And uh, what we're going to do is get to get started with a word of prayer. And then maybe you can give us an overview of the lesson and then dive into where we're headed in specific. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Let's bear our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to study. Thank you for these uh, lessons that have been crafted. And thank you, of course, for the word of God that they lead us to. Help us to understand your word today. Help it to be clear in our minds and help us to not merely just be hearers, but doers of that word as we seek to be your faithful remnant even now today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, walk us through. What are we looking at this week, Pastor Howard? Well, as you said, now this week is called Abraham's Seed and just a little bit of a... Um, Spoiler, okay. Abraham's seed is not just the, the natural lineage, the Jewish nation, but Abraham's mm. seed refers to all who believe in Christ like Abraham did. Okay. And so, obviously, it's 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 covering all the way to the end of time, the significance of being Abraham's seed. So it's seed. more than biology, it's spirituality. That's exactly looking. right. Okay. Uh, more than genealogy. Okay. So... Point number one, talking point number one this week, perfect obedience is still the requirement of heaven. Okay. Now remember, I'm starting to use these loaded... Exactly, you're um, just trying to stir the pot on everyone. However, we'll see the significance of that, and the lesson does bring that out this week. That's And if I'm from, not mistaken, um, perfect obedience is not a, even a phrase you made up. It's an inspired concept. Well, yes, I don't want to give too much I, away. I, yeah. yeah, don't read too much. into it. it we'll see what it means. It just comes straight Fair from enough. inspiration. Yes. And... Uh, that's drawn from Monday and Tuesday's lessons. Okay. Uh, talking point number two, let hypocrites encourage you in your purpose. <laughs> you like that one? I do like that. That's you, drawn from Sunday and Wednesday. You're getting very good at putting and these talking points right. together. They're very good. And then number three, Abraham is the father of those who believe. That's mm -hmm. drawn from Thursday and Friday's lessons. Okay, well, there's going to be a lot of good discussion available for this week. Yeah. And let's just dive right into <clears throat> that first one. Perfect obedience is still the requirement of heaven. That still implies it has has been and continues to be. So yes. where are you getting this from? Okay, so we're jumping past the beginning of the lesson into Monday and Tuesday. And, and Monday deals with the fact that God promised the land to his people unconditioned of obedience. And then it takes us into Deuteronomy. And it's really the heart um, of a lot of what we're looking at is Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now the lesson on Monday takes us to Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 15. Okay. I'm going to have us read a little bit more than that. I would encourage you to read through the whole chapter of Deuteronomy 28. But why don't you read Deuteronomy 28? So even, if, even in the Sabbath school class, if you can't read through a whole... Oh, yes. You, at least have them open to this passage and say, let's look at a couple of these key verses in here, because yeah. it really sets the stage. And encourage your class to read Deuteronomy sure. 28. But in class, we're going to highlight verses 1 and 2. Verses 13, 15, and 45, those are in our outline. So why don't you read verses 1 and 2 there? Sure, Deuteronomy 28. 28, 1 and 2. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. All right, jump to the verse 13, would you? 13 then says... 
And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. Now, there's a lot of things we're going to bring out from that in a minute, but I just want you to notice. Now, this first section deals with the blessings that God promises his people on condition, right? If, right. if, if, if. That's a conditional. If you obey my commandments. Mm -hmm. Now, when you come to verse 15, you start with the curses. And it says, but it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his uh, commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Curse shall mm. you be, etc., etc. You jump ahead, verse 45, uh, after listing a lot of the curses, it says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God and keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. So, you've got yeah. very clear, um, the Bible's very clear that the promises of God, the blessings and cursings alike, mm -hmm. are uh, predicated on the obedience or disobedience of God's people. And it's interesting, it's not just a kind of a passive obedience or a generic, like, you know, general trend toward, but over and over again, it's observe carefully, you know? That's right. That, that you diligently obey. There's always these adjectives, yes. so like super obey, really obey. Um, I've always kind of thought of obedience as binary, you're not, but the Lord is making, an underscoring this, he's highlighting the fact that I really, this is truly important. Well, when you think about being careful to do something, I mean, what's the difference between doing something and being careful to do it? Mm. You're you're much you're very deliberate about it. You're you're very cognizant of it. You you don't want it out of your mind like this. You know, if you if you let's take your anniversary, your wedding mm -hmm. anniversary, and if you don't want to forget it, you know, you might put a post-it note on the bathroom <laughs> mirror and write it over here on the calendar. And put, yeah. You know, th that's those are things you're doing to taking care, being careful mm -hmm. to not miss out on that. Mm -hmm. And so, the word careful. The, the phrase careful to observe just implies that this is a real, it's not out of, out of sight, out of mind thing for God's people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This like, is not like on cruise control. No. They're not just kind of like letting it happen as it goes by. And it's interesting to me that this phrase, careful to observe, at least in the New King James Version, appears 15 times in the Bible, 13 of them in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm. And uh, the King James translates it instead of be careful to observe, it says keep, therefore, and do in Deuteronomy 4 6, or observe to do. <laughs> and so it's not just like this distant, oh, right. I'm going to. It's with an intention of doing, to follow yeah, through right. it. That's the careful to observe mm -hmm. idea. Okay, so anyway, th this is very clearly the, the covenant promises were conditional to God's people right. on their willingness to obey. Now, I know that creates a lot of. You know, it's like, oh, so are we saved by our obedience? Well, I'd say no, and then I could partially say mm -hmm. yes and no, and this is what I mean by that. Um, in fact, now the lesson, I, the talking point is perfect obedience is still the requirement of heaven. Why don't you read what it says there in Faith and Works, page 52? Sure. God requires at this time just what he required of the holy pair in Eden. Perfect obedience to his requirements. That's where the phrase is taken from. Exactly. I didn't come up with it. His law remains the same in all ages. The great standard of righteousness presented in the Old Testament is not lowered in the New. Let's pause there. The great mm -hmm. what's it, what's the great standard of righteousness she's talking about? She's talking about the law of God. The, the Ten Commandments law of God. And the standard is not lowered in the New Testament. It's a powerful mm -hmm. statement. It is not the work of the gospel to weaken the claims of God's holy law, but to bring men up where they can keep its precepts. 
So the law hasn't mm. changed, the covenant hasn't changed, no. and thus this lesson is the, the the everlasting covenant, right? So the the, the requirement of perfect obedience hasn't changed. Mm. The gospel doesn't change it; it changes us. Amen. <laughs> so, Amen. So that's a powerful point. Now. Um, when we go into Tuesday's lesson, it talks about Israel and the covenant, and the top of the page gives the text from Jeremiah 11, verse 8. It okay. says, Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant. That doesn't mean the good promises. That means the curses. Yes. Okay? Which I commanded them to do, because they, or, but they did them not. Again, pointing to the disobedience of his people... Um, you can kind of hear the brokenheartedness of God in this, like mm -hmm. they, they because I wanted to do so much for them, but mm -hmm. because of their disobedience, you know, the covenant said that you do you don't obey and you get the curses mm -hmm. versus the blessings. Now the quarterly brings out a um, a point on uh, Monday's lesson. Is it Monday's? Monday's lesson, okay. paragraph two says, the first part of Deuteronomy 28 outlines the blessings Israel would receive if they followed God's will. Okay, God's will. Okay, the will. other section of the chapter deals with the curses that would befall them if they did not. Now, the point I would make there is we seem to have a hard time talking about obedience. And that's why even when I say perfect obedience is a requirement, it's like, ooh, are you going to use that talking point? Like, have we have a hard time, like, we can talk relationship, and in fact, the lesson does this, this is interesting on Tuesday, bottom of Tuesday's page, notice what it says. Um, there it talks about the will of God, which is simply obeying God's law, right? Mm -hmm. Thy law, I, I delight to do thy will, oh my God, yea, thy, thy law, law is, is within, within my, my heart. heart. Yeah. That's the express will of God. If you come to Tuesday's lesson at the bottom of the page, it says at the very bottom, last sentence, or last uh, a couple sentences there, the point is that Israel's apostasy did not have its root in disobedience, but in a broken personal relationship with the Lord, a break that resulted in disobedience that finally brought punishment upon them. Now, this is a discussion that happens often. It's like, what came first, the disobedience or the broken relationship? And we love to say that broken relationship led to disobedience because it seems to give an explanation to something that is mm. inexplicable. Right? Like, how yeah. did sin happen? How did Lucifer... There must have been something wrong before that that led to... Now, what I found interesting about this is, very clearly, it says that the broken relationship resulted in disobedience. But our very same quarterly, way back in Lesson 1... Which, in the standard paging, is page 11, and the teacher's edition is page 10, I think you're going okay, for here. thank you. Yeah, I didn't have the... Yeah, the, yeah and you have it there? Go yes. ahead and look, read it. Uh, it, it's in, it's from Thursday, it. April 1, is what you're looking for. Yep. Uh, but it says, in their utter helplessness, I, I think, is that the, no, 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 I'm sorry, in the middle of the second paragraph, yes. it says, as a result of this blatant transgression, which is sin, and disregard of God's command, comma, the relationship between God and humankind is now broken. So clearly in this statement, it was the blatant transgression and disregard of God's command that resulted in a broken relationship. That's right. That's but when we come to this lesson, it's the broken relationship that results in the sin. Mm. And the only point I'd make is we, we th there's been this tendency to try to divorce our, our, ac our actions, mm -hmm. our, our behavior from the relationship. Like there's relationship over here. Oh no, it's not, it's not about our disobedience. Well, you can see it in a lot of even, uh, especially like, uh, you see the more in non-adventist churches stuff, but it's like, 
even advertising for churches, we're not, we're not about the rules. We're about relationships. Yeah. Right. That, that there's this like there's rules on one hand and bad is bad. Right. <laughs> but then there's the relationship and that's good. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> and the and the point is this, and I and I put it in the notes here. The lesson emphasizes the importance of obedience, but seems to have a hard time saying obedience is a causative factor in the quality of our relationships. Mm. So so true. There's no relationship. It, it, you step outside of Christianity because we get into these cliches and we mm-hmm. get, oh, yeah, you know, well, they, there was this broken relationship it led to. But there's no other part of life where we would dare separate the two. If I'm, if my wife and I have a bad marriage and I want to work on the marriage, what am I going to do? You don't change What's the, the marriage counselor <laughs> right. going to tell me to yeah. do? If he tells me to do something and I say, no, I'm not going to do that, you leave my relation, you leave my behavior out of this. Just, just deal with the relationship. There's no, <laughs> and this is what Jeremiah is saying. What God is saying here is, because my people did not obey, mm. but they walked in the imagination, that what they did, their behavior is what broke the relationship. Um, it's like me saying I had an affair with my wife because, you know, well, first we had a broken relationship and that led me into the sin. Mm-hmm. Well, what what broke the relationship? I'm guessing that sin like, really damaged the relationship. Yeah. B- but even before, like if the, I say, well, it was already strained. Why was it strained? Inevitably, you're going to come to some mm-hmm. behavior with Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. It was the transgression. Even if it's a, th- a behavior There was thought, no a, yeah, problem yeah, yeah. before the transgression. Same thing with Lucifer. There wasn't a broken relationship strained between him and God, and then he sinned. Mm-hmm. And, and I think my concern with this is it seeks to come up with an explanation for sin mm-hmm. that makes sense to us. It's like, what well, makes sense that there's a broken Oh, now I can see why this would happen. And my mm-hmm. mind is drawn to this statement. In fact, why don't you read what it says in Great Controversy 492? It is impossible to explain the origin of sin so as to give a reason for its existence. Nothing is more plainly taught in Scripture than that God was in no wise responsible for the entrance of sin, that there was no arbitrary withdrawal of divine grace, no deficiency in the divine government that gave occasion for the uprising of rebellion. Let's pause there and look at that. There, no arbitrary withdrawal of divine... In other words, God did withdraw divine grace. Arbitrary, what does that mean? It wasn't random. For no yeah. arbitrary means for no reason. And what it's saying is there was no arbitrary withdrawal. The reason for the withdrawal of divine grace was transgression. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to say that. Sin is an intruder for whose presence no reason can be given. It is mysterious, unaccountable. To excuse it is to defend it. Could excuse for it be found or cause be shown for its existence, it would cease to be sin. You know, think about that for a minute. If you could, if you could draw a line and say, like, I know sin was bad and everything, but the real reason behind that sin was starting with this and this, then all of a sudden, sin's not bad anymore. It's only the logical extension of a natural process that started Which somewhere. Which is going to go back to God and make God the fault well, of it's all exactly the transgression. Which is exactly what in the original sin problem of, mm-hmm. not, of course, the term original sin, yeah. but the first sin recorded in Scripture, Adam and Eve. Right? The immediate thing they do is start transferring it to something before. That's well, exactly I mean, yeah, right. but the woman and the woman said, "Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but the serpent." Which you, you know, that's right. It's passing the buck, right? She goes on to say, still in Great Conscience 492, Our only definition of sin is that given in the Word of God. It is the transgression of the law. 
It is the outworking of a principle at war with the great law of love, which is the foundation of the divine government. And a lot of discussion could be made on that, but the idea of the only definition being the transgression, she's just pointing to the fact that the cause was transgression. The cause right. was that man broke God's law. That is what fractured the relationship between mm -hmm. God and man. Sin separated between us and our God. So Isaiah clearly there is a broken relationship. No one's denying That's that. Right. It's the issue and, is how did it get going? And the relationship aspect is an important one, Absolutely. but you can't divorce it from Right. And let's stop trying to divorce our behavior and our actions from our relationship with Christ. Amen. Okay. Um, perfect obedience is still really the requirement of heaven because it has everything to do with our relationship with Christ. Yes. Well, and then, but, but we should, and it's not covered in this lesson, but when you say perfect obedience is still, that means that then and now, if God expects something, we've, What's that famous statement? All of his biddings are enablings. That's right. That, that God is not asking you something you can't do and say, well, I guess you're hopeless. You just have to. And that lesson doesn't dive into it. But if the Lord, right. for instance, in Deuteronomy is saying, if you do this, good things will happen. That's you, right. That it implies that doing this is possible. That's right. He wasn't and, holding and up something that I know that, that the do. quarterly is going to get us. We delve further into the covenants. Sure. The covenant made at Sinai. We'll get into God's empowering. We've already talked about God's empowering exactly. grace. So we'll get into more of that. But that's not, that again, that's not to divorce uh the potential of success by these high standards. God can set the standard high and strengthen right. us to meet it. All right. Well, that leads us into our second talking point. Let hypocrites encourage you in your purpose. Now, I drew this from Wednesday, the bottom of Wednesday's lesson. It gives this little story if it says, in the shaded part at the bottom of Wednesday's page. It says, a few years ago, a young woman gave up her Christian faith entirely, mostly because she was discouraged by sin, the sin, apostasy, and hypocrisy she saw in her local church. Those people weren't really Christian, she said, using that as an excuse to give up everything. Why is her excuse not valid base your answer on the principles in today's lesson so we're going to come back around to that but that's where i drew the hypocrisy idea out the lesson on um the lesson on sunday that i've put with this so we're drawing this from sunday and wednesday is above all people it takes from deuteronomy chapter seven verse six and mm -hmm. then also our our scripture reading in first peter two which is that's really a reflection yeah. on yeah our memory verse but, but it's a New Testament adaptation of Deuteronomy 7.6. That's right. Yeah. Deuteronomy 7.6, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now the lesson is drawing on this idea above all people. In fact, at the bottom of the page, it says, In what ways were they to be above all people? And so the implication is, mm -hmm, you well, know, I, I we're above. Okay. And I told you this in our little pre-meeting. I've, I've lived in, I've grown up in this church and reading the Bible and yeah. hearing these stories, and I never once thought of the idea of being like, oh, you're going to be above, and the fact that the other people below, and there's a right. hierarchy of like, you're the Looking better, special, privileged people. Them. Well, they're special in the sense that they had a special task that God was going to need them for to do some work for him, but not like, a I, I think of it, you're called out to be distinct from, not to be lorded over. You know, That's right, exactly. In fact, it's interesting, the word, uh, you know, above all people, above comes from the Hebrew word men, which means from all people, or out mm -hmm. of all people. Yeah. Not superior to, to right. but that, in other words, we can go back to Noah. Why did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? That was in a previous lesson. Because God saw in Noah a willingness to follow him. Mm -hmm. So he called him out. Why mm -hmm. did he call Abraham? Because he saw a willingness. It wasn't like, Abraham, you're so much better than everybody else. Right. But it was he was looking for that willingness. And, and in the same way, this is what it's talking about here when he says, above all people, I took these people and I brought them out from among the others because I saw potential willingness to obey. And the, the, the obeying and following him was also for a purpose of proclaiming God to the world around. So, for example, this passage in Deuteronomy 7, I'm going to have you read our, uh, uh, 
First Peter two verse nine, our memory okay. verse, which goes against my grain to have us read it, but <laughs> we did jump on these lessons a little earlier and, and don't always have the time to get into the full memory of it yet. You know, that's one of those that has a, a Bible song to it. You are a chosen generation. <laughs> oh, okay, you're going to sing that. In a minute. Oh, no, it's too late. I'm and I here. want you to compare it with Deuteronomy 7, 6. For okay. thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are on the face of the earth. Now you'll hear the very similar idea in 1 Peter 2, 9. Which says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you have the holy people. You have have his own special people, but a couple things are added there in, in, and I don't want to say added, they're inherent in Deuteronomy, but the, it, it clarifies a royal priesthood mm -hmm. and that you may proclaim. So those ideas convey that the reason God called his people out was not to kind of be erudite and look down their nose at other people, mm -hmm. but to take them and say, I'm going to use you to give the invitation to everybody else. Mm -hmm to be a priesthood, to, to draw them to me, your God, and to proclaim the praises of me to the world. That was the purpose that God called them, and that's the purpose he called us. That's the purpose for his church. Yeah, I was just thinking of the time, because even the priesthood, to be a priest, you had to come from the people. Yeah. Like, it was a taking out of people for the purpose of being an agent of salvation to those people, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a superiority, like, isolationist, arrogant, exclusive right. thing. It's for the purpose of doing work to bless the others. That's right. And so, this whole idea of calling people out, this is what... Mm -hmm. the, in fact, the word church in the New Testament comes from the Greek word ecclesia, ecclesia. which means called out mm -hmm. of, right? And the idea of the remnant is that God reserved for himself, called out a special people. Mm -hmm. We're seeing these concepts in what we're looking at here. Now, the, the uh, lesson on Wednesday brings up a few different passages, and I would go, I'd have them all read in class, Isaiah 4, 3, Micah 4, mm -hmm. 6, and 7, mm -hmm. but we're going to look at Zephaniah uh, 3, 12, and 13. If you want to look at that for us. <laughs> sure. On the spot, real quick, flip to Zephaniah, real quick. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Zephaniah chapter I knew you one, would. 3, 12, and 13. Yes. Got it. I thought you had it memorized. No. Go that ahead. was 1 Peter 2. <laughs> I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the oh. Lord. Verse 13. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness, and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Now, there's a lot I want to say, and I see our time ticking down here, but this this passage, um, the, the, the first thing I thought of when I heard this, there's no, they'll do no righteousness, speak no lies, a deceitful tongue not found in no their mouth. no unrighteousness. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> it takes my mind right to Revelation chapter 14. Exactly. Where you have the 144,000. Mm -hmm. And are you looking that up? I am looking that up because it is strikingly similar. Um, it says in verse 4, These are the ones who are not defiled with women if they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever they go. They are redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was sound no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Mm -hmm. So it's strikingly similar, these parallels here. So it's interesting, on Wednesday's lesson, in the first paragraph, it starts out by saying, Although God's plan for ancient Israel was spoiled by disobedience, which we've seen, they weren't faithful, they disobeyed, etc., etc., it was never 
completely frustrated. God's plan was never completely frustrated. Why? Because there were always, he says, among the weeds, a few faith, a flowers still grew, right? There's a faithful right. remnant. Goes on to say in the third paragraph, no matter how bad the situation became, God always had some faithful people who, despite apostasy within the ranks of God's chosen people, kept their own calling and election. Sure. So the whole point here with the let hypocrites not discourage you is yeah. God's called us to be a special people. God's promised to do great things through us. Are there hypocrites in the church? I always like to say, where else would you find a hypocrite? Yeah. Like, if you're trying to fake it and pretend you're a Christian, the best place to do that is in church. So it's mm. like, oh, there's hypocrites in the church. Of course they're in the church. Where else would they be? Yeah. Don't let that discourage you and get you down. Let that inspire Mercy. you to say, look, the, and, and you know, the question at the bottom of the page says, why was this woman's excuse not valid? She left a Christian faith. Well, well <laughs> there, were, there were three answers. I had two answers, and you added one to that. Yeah. One is, we don't know for sure what's going on. I can see somebody else and say they're acting a hypocrite, but I, God's not done with them yet. Yeah. It's hard for me to de determine... The thoughts and intents right? of their hearts, yeah. Okay. And then you added. Well, yeah, I mean, the irony is, like, if I'm seeking to be a Christian, but I go to the church and there's a bunch of non-Christians, then you're like, well, fine, I'm out. Well, you're just going to join them. You're <laughs> right. going to be a non-Christian, too. I don't like, like them, so I'm going to become one of them. Exactly. It's well. like, well, if your issue is them not being Christian, you leaving Christianity doesn't help anything. You need to, that's all the more reason to stay and be a Christian. Well, I've always thought that, you know, there are people, one of the phrases we have is, well, young people can spot hypocrisy right away, or these people can spot hypocrisy right away. And I'm thinking, if you can spot it, and you're like, hey, that's a then why don't you show us all what it's, what it's about? Yeah, you know, if you got don't so clear, be that. <laughs> no, I'm going to go be that. And then finally, I put that there. The, the third reason that this woman's excuse, and I'm glad the lesson calls it an excuse, is not valid, is there will always be hypocrites in the church mm. for the express purpose of discouraging people out of the church. Like, Mercy. who do you think puts hypocrites in the church? The devil. Why? To discourage mm. people from going. So you're like, I'm not going because they're hypocrites. Well, guess who just won? <laughs> well, you know, Mrs. White does, and we don't have those statements here. Before, but we've talked about this when it yeah. talks about baptizing people and just, hey, they put the name of Jesus on their lips. There's baptism. And she's like, cautions because <laughs> Satan has a plan to put people who are right, not converted in the church hypocrites. for the purpose of discouraging the saints, right? That's exactly right. So be careful. Okay, so let hypocrites encourage you in your purpose. Mm. Um Finally, Abraham is the father of those who believe. The lesson this week is called Abraham's Seed, and the lesson brings out Galatians chapter 3. I'm not going to go there in our talking points for sake of time, but the point I made in our handout is from the very outset, God intended the lineage of Abraham to be reckoned according to faith, not according mm. to genealogy. You'll never find that, in fact, a couple yeah. examples from the New Testament. When Nathaniel comes to Jesus, Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus, Jesus says, ah, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile, which harkens back to Zephaniah right. and Revelation 14. A, a true Israelite. Mm -hmm. Well, that would imply there are false Israelites. Well, and perhaps the most striking, you've got it in here now, is John yes. chapter 8. It, it starts in verse 37. Of course, this is an encounter with Jesus and the religious leaders who are always trying to kill him. And he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, right? That's Biologically, right. genetically, you're Abraham's descendants. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And then he says in the next verse, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen mm. with your father. So it's like... In, in a human genealogical way, yes, you were descendants of Abraham, but let me tell you, spiritually, you've got a different father. So That's he right. makes a stark contrast between the genealogy of Abraham and the genuine faith of Abraham. Absolutely. Um, we looked at this passage, I think, the last week or the week before, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 7, the Apostle Paul 
makes this, in fact, verse 6 says it, but it is not that the word of God has n taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, speaking mm. about the, the, yes. genial, the, uh, the physical descendants of Abraham. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Mm. And so his point is, Abraham had more kids than just Isaac, he had Ishmael. Why didn't Ishmael get counted as a child of Abraham? He was a literal biological child of Abraham. But Paul's trying to make the point there that God had always intended for it to be the child of promise. Mm. Isaac was through the one who through, through whom yeah. Christ would come. Mm. Uh, the lesson brings out Galatians 3.26, but if you go back to Galatians 3.15 and 16, he says the promise was not to your seed, yeah, uh, to in, your seeds as of many, but seed as in one, one which is pointing Christ. to Christ. And so, again, the point being, in fact, the lesson says on the bottom of Thursday, um, all that God promised Abraham is found in Christ, and the promises become ours not because of nationality, race, or gender, but through grace, which God bestows on us through faith. Hmm. Uh, it's, and then it quotes from Patriarchs and Prophets, where Ellen White says on page 170, the gift to Abraham and his seed included not merely the land, merely the land of Canaan, but the whole earth, so says the apostle, the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Mm. And the Bible plainly teaches that the promises made to Abraham are to be fulfilled through Christ. Mm. So it was always for those, Abraham was the father, it says in Romans chapter 4, not just of those who are children of Abraham, but those who believe like Abraham. And it's so interesting, we've talked about Abraham, and we, I know we got to close, but, you know, in Abraham, in, in Abraham's struggle of, you know, launching this great nation, right? Yes. He was like, well, why can't Eli, I mean, Eliezer, I don't even have any son at all, right. in chapter 15, then 16, you know, the Hagar Ishmael. thing, and he's like, has Ishmael, and all later, that Ishmael said, might live exactly, said, Lord, I've already got one biological, let's let that one be the one, and God had to make That's the right. distinction, even... Now, how much easier it would be if we like, oh, what just to genetically serious? Like, no, mm. I want one that comes from that's faith. Right. That's and, the whole and point. again, just to, it, that's just so powerful. God didn't change plans. There's right. people today. It's like, oh, dispensationally, you know, God was going to save people through the, you know, keeping the law right. on the old, and then He changed His mind. God never it's changed His mind. It's always been from faith back then. It was always from faith. Amen. Well, we've covered a lot in this lesson. At the conclusion at Friday, you want to touch on that real quick? Yeah, I'm just going to read from what it says there in the summary on Friday. It says, God's true Israel, whether before or after the cross, is the Israel of faith. Persons who live in a spiritual covenant relationship with Him, such people function as, and just to clarify, spiritual covenant, we write, they have a willingness to obey God. Right. Okay, and they don't seek to do so in their own strength, but there's a willingness to trust right. in God's strength to do it. Such people function as his representatives, holding out to the world the gospel of his saving grace, their Beautiful. grace, their priesthood, and they're, they're call, sounding forth the praises of him who called them out of darkness. Mm. Well, folks, a lot of good material for a dynamic Sabbath school mm. lesson study this week, and so we pray that the Lord will bless you as you mm. uh, not only try to understand it for yourself, but share it with your local church family Amen. and the visitors who come. So let's pray to that end today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful study. Thank you for being a God who calls us into a relationship and you clarify the, the conditions and the rules, all the pieces of the covenant that you're the instigator and you have in our you have in mind for us more than we have for ourselves. Lord, help us to never shortchange what you offer us, but help us to truly enter into the covenant with you by faith and find our hope in Jesus Christ. For we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.